Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. Today we're talking about child relocation following separation and divorce. And um, it's almost like an area of law unto itself. It's it's uh, complex. It involves international issues. It involves, uh, obviously, the breakdown of a relationship and whether a child sees another parent regularly or not. So it's a real complicated area, so complicated that the law is complicated and so complicated that cases that have gone to court to determine whether somebody can move or not have always been unpredictable because they're so complicated. And so that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, it's a, it's a topic that comes up often enough. Like I certainly have had it come up with clients of mine. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, it's always governed, of course, which we'll get into about, about the best interests of the child. But it, you know, it can be very complicated when people split up and they want to get on with their lives. Um, they don't want to have to, you know, be stuck in a particular jurisdiction. Sometimes they might meet a new partner. They might get a job offer. They might have family that could support them, you know, elsewhere. And so there's all kinds of reasons why someone might want to relocate. In fact, let's do that. Let's chat about the context and the circumstances that bring about the problem. And then we'll take it to the next level, which is to discuss the solution to the problem of child relocation. So let's go backwards. We live in Ontario, Canada, or even more specifically, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we have, I heard once somebody, somebody once told me something like 130, 140 languages spoken in Toronto. It's a very multicultural city. There are people that move here or come here to study or come here on job placements. Um, people come for religious reasons to partake in convents or yeshivas, seminaries. Um, some kids come here for boarding school. You know, there's many of them. There's many very good ones. So there are people that are coming to Toronto from all over the world. And when they arrive here, sometimes they actually enter into relationships pardon me i'm just about to pull over they're entering into relationships with people and that relationship then results in sometimes the birth of a child and when that occurs then now we have an issue where there's two parents and one of them lives here one of them doesn't live here now that's one scenario Another more common one is people are living in Toronto. They're working in Toronto. They love Toronto. One of them happens to be from another part of Canada or another part of the world. And they marry, they have a child. And then, you know, sometimes as a result of divorce and sometimes not as a result of divorce, one of them wants to move either because they want to move back to their home country or the third scenario is they split up somebody got a job at another place that's really good or somebody wants to marry somebody in another place that's really good so 
I listed so many scenarios where this occurs. And these are real life situations. And so the question becomes, if that happens, is the person who lives in Toronto and wants to move required to remain here? Are they forever bound to this city because this is where the child was born or this is where they lived as a couple? And so from a moral standpoint, this is a real complex issue. It definitely is because you're looking, you know, if one parent is allowed to relocate, you're looking at a situation where the other parent's parenting time is going to be drastically, drastically reduced. And so to, to find uh, that that is in the best interest of the child, um, that's, a, that's a high threshold to meet because, you know, generally it's in a child's interest to have maximum contact with both parents. So to take that child, you know, across the country to another country, you know, wherever it might be, um, and really limit the amount of time they're going to see their other parent, uh, there, there has to be really good, you know, reasons to do that. And somebody in that situation is, you know, going to have to show a court um, that it really is in the child's best interest, not just, uh, you know, their best interests or, they, you know, that they want to be with somebody. It's far more complicated than that. So let's talk, talk about process. So these things happen. I mean, it's not the greatest situation to be in. I mean, for someone to come here because of a job or because they graduate university here and then end up in a relationship, which was a good one at the beginning, and have a child and live here for a year or two or three, and then the relationship doesn't work out and they want to move. They want to move back home or they want to move to another place or they want to remarry or they want to get another job. Whatever the circumstances are, these things happen. And when they do, what is the law? So the answer is, we used to say, well, it's not actually in the statute, it's in the case law. Now we could say it's actually in both, because a couple of years ago, the Divorce Act was changed and included a whole section on relocation and changing primary or permanent residence. So... Anybody that wants to know what is the law with respect to relocation and changing primary uh, permanent residence can simply go to the Divorce Act, the federal or the Canadian Divorce Act, and read the Divorce Act section on relocation. Now, practically speaking, however, we have historically seen a, a close to 50-50 split in judges granting relocation and it used to be under the old law that the reason for the parent wanting to move could not be asked and was not relevant and then the divorce act changed that to include that as being a factor because i think it made sense for people to want to know why is the move occurring and the other thing that has been made into law is that a judge should not ask the question, if I don't grant the move, will you move anyway? Meaning, will you leave the child with the parent that's living in Toronto or in Canada? And that has always been a double-edged sword question because if the person says, no, I will stay, it makes the judge's 
his job easy because then the judge is going to say, then I'm not granting the move because this kid is going to have two parents in the city. And if the person says, I'm going to move, and then the judge says, it's fine, move, I'm leaving the kid with the remaining parent, and this is the schedule, then it'll be very hard for that person to then come back and say, well, I've decided not to move, and I want to change everything. So it's become quite a quagmire. And so asking the question, will you move anyway, is really a challenging question, and generally speaking, is not asked. Um, but back to the law, there's a whole set of processes that have to be put into place, um, one of which is obviously notice, in some cases, uh, a request for consent. And if there's no consent, then there's a whole process to bring the matter before a judge and ultimately have a hearing, which takes us right back to what you said, Leanne, which is what are judges really looking for to decide if Junior should be allowed to move with dad to BC? Yeah, and I mean, it really centers around what is in the best interest of the child. Um, you know, Section 24 of the Children's Law Reform Act cites the criteria that a court will look at to determine what is in the best interest of the child. And, you know, this includes factors like the, the relationship of the child with the parent who is requesting the move, um, their relationship with, you know, the other parent as well, um, how willing the parent who's requesting the move is to facilitate parenting time and regular contact between the other parent and the child. That's really important if you're, you know, very hostile and you're not going to, you know, do everything you can to support that relationship, then that's going to be a problem. Um, you know, the, the impact on the child is important. Um, and certainly that's going to be very, you know, first and foremost in it, the, the history of the care of the child. So, you know, who was the primary caregiver? Was the parent who's requesting the move the primary caregiver or was it the one who's staying behind? That's going to be an important factor. Um, if the child is old enough, their views and preferences can be taken into account. Obviously, with a young child, that's probably not something that, you know, will be sought or taken into account by a court. Um, and the plan for the child's care, uh, you know, what's the proposal? That's that's a factor that's going to be looked at. Um, and, you know, those are the types of things that the court is taking into account. And so, you know, depending on where a couple falls on those types of criteria, it's going to be determined whether the move is, is in the child's best interest. And so... I've had a number of these cases over the years that have gone to trial. And one thing that I've learned is a few things. One, all of the evidence that's gathered, all of the arguments that are being made, make it all about the child. Telling the judge that it's better for dad or it's better for mom doesn't win any points. Telling the judge why the move or, or denying the move is best for the child will at least cause the judge to really register and understand what the decision needs to be. Number two is building a picture of what life will be like if the move hurts and building a picture of what life will look like if the move is denied. And sometimes one person will build both pictures Oftentimes, the two opposite sides who don't agree on the move will build the opposite picture. But one thing that is for sure is 
create a vision for the judge to imagine what it will be like for this child to live either in this city without one parent or in the other city with the other parent or to cause the one who wants to move to remain here by making it very difficult. And so that is the way you sort of create the imagery that will carry the day in terms of moving a judge to allow a move. Now, we keep talking about causing the judge to allow the move. There are cases where one wants to move and the one, and the one that stays here says, sure, go ahead. You could move with a child or you could move without the child and we'll work something out. That happens all the time. And in fact, may I suggest, those are the most interesting cases because now we have to come up with a very creative way to allow this child to have a relationship with parents that are in different cities, which is totally fine, but it requires imagination, creativity, and hard work. And those kind of cases are ideal because anytime parents can work something out between themselves, rather than asking a judge who doesn't know them, doesn't know their child, um, to make an important decision like where the child's going to live, um, you know, it's just generally better if the two people who know the situation best, the parents, can, can work something out. Um, often these types of cases, though, can be quite heated because one party often is, you know, very upset at the thought of their child moving far away uh, where they can't see them. And so... And that's why they go to court. Exactly. And, you know, just touching back to what you were saying, Steve, about what you, how you need to create this picture of what life is going to look like for this child, it's really important for people to show that, you know, the, the emotional, the financial, the educational, you know, all these various needs of the child are going to be met. Um, you know, what, with the move or with the child staying. And if you're, you know, seriously dropping the ball in one of those types of areas, then your plan is not going to be, you know, as persuasive to a judge uh, as the other party if they're covering off all of these areas and showing that those needs of the child are being met in all these key areas. So a small example of that imagery that I've described in, in cases that I've been involved in is if I'm acting for the parent that wants to move with the child to another place, I would draw a picture of how that other place is going to provide the child with a very warm and loving neighborhood of family and friends, possibly a new partner, possibly a half sibling, possibly much more cousins, going to a very good school, providing evidence of the school, providing photographs of the neighborhood, and showing all, all of the amazing things. I had a case once where the child had a particular um, uh, medical problem. I believe it was a, a, a neurological problem. And it turns out that where the child was gonna be moving to, they had uh, a university with a health department that did a lot of work in this particular health topic. And so, it was going to afford the child access to some amazing healthcare services that directly related to the child's needs. So as you can see, we were building a complete picture. And then while you're building that picture, you have to be extremely sympathetic to the left behind parent, which by the way, that's the language that we use. And so what would that look like? So we, 
we start building a story about how we're going to use Zoom or FaceTime, how there's going to be extended long weekends. So every month, the child might go to the other parent for back here, that is, for five days. And then Christmas, the child will spend all of Christmas with the left behind parent. And the child will spend maybe all or most of the summer with the left behind parent. So, so we create this sort of, not that we say it's not the greatest situation, but, you know, mom is remarrying a guy that lives there. Mom cannot stay here. Child is related to mom. Child's related to dad. Dad stays here. We need to come up with a plan. And the current plan is that the child lives primarily with, for example, mom, and a little bit less with dad. And we're going to try to morph that into a calendar where it covers 52 weeks instead of treating it as one week at a time. And so that's how we sort of build a picture and, and, draw, and try to enjoin the judge in that uh, facility in trying to navigate us into that direction. And I think it's important for listeners to understand that um, if they're in this situation, their conduct is extremely important. And in fact, what sparked our topic for today was Steve had shared a couple of recent relocation oh, right. cases um, on his LinkedIn page. Um, both of them are Ontario cases. And in both cases, the judges took into account the conduct um, in, of the fathers of both parties, but in particular the fathers in deciding that the children should be allowed to, or the mother should be al allowed to have the children relocate with her. And in one of the cases, um, which is Johnson and De Silva, Justice Jane was looking at a situation where there were allegations of domestic violence and they were very much a factor uh, that she took into account in making her decision. And what I thought was particularly interesting in that case is that the father had never been convicted or charged um, with a domestic violence offense. Um, the mother had reported it to the police, but charges had never been laid. So just, you know, with her evidence on that, without there being, you know, a criminal record or a police charge, um, her evidence was persuasive enough that there was domestic violence and, you know, the conduct of the father was you know, considered very relevant in the decision that the children, it would be not in their interest to have to return to Canada. They had left Canada and gone to almost like, I guess it was like an escape plan, it seems. They went to South Carolina with the mother. She had, right. I think, family there um, and she wanted to get an order that they don't have to return um, and she got it. Right. And, and so, you know, it's absolutely correct that behavior is relevant um, and certainly good behavior is rewarded and bad behavior is punished. And, and quite frankly, that's just the case in life. Um, but when it comes to the relocation issue, back to my point that the child is the center of the universe in these analyses. And if the question is, should a parent be permitted to move or should the request to move be denied whether you're a social worker a psychologist a mediator or a judge it is being ex examined through the lens of what is best for this kid and in the case that you just mentioned the judge decided what's best for the kid is to be living in south carolina with his mother and family and friends where 
this child was not going to be exposed to that sort of parental conflict and history, history of domestic violence. And that's what ultimately, that was one of the factors that persuaded the judge to allow the move. Um, but again, these cases are very fact specific. And just to round up, um, if you have questions about a relocation, uh, start by reading the Divorce Act, then read some case law on canley.org on recent mobility cases. Of course, you could read what Leanne and I have written about. But at the end of the day, recognize that relocation cases in law are really difficult cases. They're not predictable. They're hard to advocate. They're hard to predict um, because it really does have a very uh, uh, severe effect on the parent-child relationship if a judge allows a move to occur. And that's why judges generally wrestle with it. And, uh, and that's why it's hard for us lawyers to say, oh yeah, judges always allow someone to move to BC or never allow people to leave Toronto. It's not that black and white. No, and that's a great summary of, of it. And uh, the only thing I would add for listeners is that self-help remedies are not looked upon favorably by the courts. Sometimes people will just up and move um, and, you know, then later on seek permission or whatever. And I've seen cases where somebody's ordered back in that type of situation that, you know, the courts do not like people taking the matter into their own hands and, and just doing what they want without following the proper procedures. And we didn't even talk about the Hague Convention and, and orders to return by signatories to the Hague Convention, but you're up 100% right, Leanne. Um, Self-help remedies are frowned upon. Uh, in some cases, they work. Um, you know, remember that movie with Sally Fields? Um, uh, oh, I can't think of the name right now. It was just on my in my mind. But yeah, um, not without my child or something like that. And uh, so, yeah, uh, there's, you know, when people pick up a child and run off to say, you know, Saudi Arabia, may not be so easy to bring that child back. Um, uh, but uh, a person that takes a child to say, you know, Germany or France or England or the U.S., a judge in Ontario uh, will likely grant an order for the child to be returned, and the international court at the other end will likely honor that order and force the return. Not a good idea. So good point, Leanne. And, uh, uh, and I, I wish for the listeners that you don't have this situation and that you don't need legal advice with respect to relocation. But if you do, definitely uh, don't rely on what we talked about, but get independent legal advice from a lawyer that's going to help you with your unique situation. Exactly. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Thanks, Steve. And uh, we'll see everyone here again next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.